0: All right. Good morning. Um, If y'all want to go ahead, my helpers will send uh, hand out the handouts. Um, So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 103. So Psalm 103. So we finished a while back. We finished uh, our look at the book of Romans. Um, and uh, decided before diving into the next book to spend a little bit of time in the Psalms. Uh, we keep saying uh, this will be the last one, um, and uh, and we just cannot make that happen because it's turned out to be very, very helpful, at least for Mark and I. Um, and to be quite honest, that's really the, all that uh, matters to – I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've, we've really enjoyed it. Um, I'm – I'm um, very excited uh, to look at this text. Um, I mean, again, one of the, and this is a weird way to put this, I'll probably regret putting this away, but I can't think of a better way. One of the problems um, with the scriptures is they're so rich. It's just so good. And there's so much of it that you lose um, how much good stuff you have. One way to put it is, if, if you only had Psalm 103, if that's all that God had decided in his wisdom to reveal to us is just this one psalm, folks, it would be a gift beyond measure. Uh, it is unreal. And it's just one psalm, which is only one chapter in one book. And we have the entire scriptures. It really it's amazing. Um, it's amazing how kind he's been. Well, um, so Psalm 103. Uh, let me start. I'm just going to read the first five verses. We'll get through, God willing, through all of them this morning. But let me start with those first five. This really is the heart of it. Bless the Lord, all oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed? like the eagles. Let's pray. Father, bless you. All praise be to you. You're so rich in kindness. I pray this morning that this psalm will resonate deep within our souls and that there really will be a deep abiding praise. Just slow our pace for just a little bit by your spirit and let us see that your goodness to us is unreal. Let our souls feast on your goodness this morning. God, I pray that you would be so kind that we would not walk out of here. I don't know what's on different hearts and minds. I know what's even on mine. And I know that there's room for complaining and self pity, frustrations. God, I pray that your word would put those to flight. And I pray that understanding what you have done for my soul for eternity would resonate in deep abiding praise. Would you do that? I can't do that for myself. I know I can't do that for these. Would you do that by your spirit, Father? Thank you for King Jesus. Thank you for all that he's given us. And I pray that his work will be on full display this morning. Amen. So I've had the opportunity now for a few seasons um, to coach the kids' soccer team. Uh, It's been a blast. It's been a challenge. Um, So one of the hardest uh, parts is, uh, is recruiting players to play the goalkeeper position um and so uh you can imagine it's a bit nerve-wracking of a position um and so yesterday in our game i recruited one of the kids he was going to play the fourth quarter and so i was doing my coach thing i'm getting him my pep talk i'm walking him out there and, and i'm telling them the things i think you're supposed i don't know by the way what you're supposed to do as a coach um that's one of our problems but anyway um i'm telling them Uh, you know uh, what I think he should hear things like, you know, don't, Hey, don't you worry. You just, you just go out there and do your best. Shot gets past you. It's no big deal. Just let it go. No problem. We'll go after the next one. You're going to do fine. I know you can do it. You know, those are the things that's the things I tell. him. So uh, he's just saying, okay. Um, And, uh, and I am, I'm I turn around to walk back to the sidelines and he says, coach, And I turned back around thinking, I've got another round of coaching to do. He says, coach, my mom brought snacks. Well, there you go. I laughed for the rest of the fourth quarter. As each goal went past him, I thought, well, his mom brought snacks. I'm not kidding. I had laughed so hard, and and then I'm I'm driving from the game to 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 pack myself away. Where Psalm 103 has been on my mind for days, and I'm got I got to get something written, and it just floods me. I'm laughing at my mom's brought snacks, and um and then I realized how smart this little kid is. Here he is facing a nerve wracking situation. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He's, but instead of sitting there complaining, instead of dealing with self-pity, he put it all in perspective as if to say, I don't really know what's gonna happen, but no matter what happens, my mom brought snacks. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, Psalm 103 is sort of the biblical, theological, Christian way of saying, Our Father, He brought really good snacks. I'm not kidding. If you don't have this Psalm marked in your Bible, you better mark this Psalm now. I would mark it as a recurring event on my calendar. Put it, and I have it as one on mine, put it on your calendar that for a certain day of a week, and try just for a few months to look at this psalm. Just go back to it on a weekly basis. Do it for a few months. I promise you're not going to come to me and say, hey, I just want you to know that's wasting my time. That's not going to happen. This psalm is a perspective maker. We really, we're pretty sure David wrote it. I'm going to say David and the psalmist throughout, but we actually aren't 100% sure because we actually don't know like many Psalms, we don't know exactly what was happening uh, at, at the time. It's not like a certain event occasioned it. But I actually think that's intentional, and I really think that helps us understand this Psalm. This Psalm is fitting for those times in life when you feel like, you know what, I just don't think things could get any better. And this Psalm is fitting for those times in your life when you think, I'm not sure it could get any worse. It's a distinctively Christian psalm in all of its encouragement. That is, if you're ever asked to give a speech, a motivational speech, and there's going to be unbelievers present, this is not where you want to turn because to be quite honest, there's not much motivationally helpful for an unbeliever in this psalm. It's encouraging, incredibly encouraging, to believers and just to give you one example of that every hymn we sang this morning every one of those came from is derived after psalm 103 and just to get a taste of of, of that and and you could have amy and mark can tell you a whole lot more than i can but there are dozens if not hundreds of hymns written just after this psalm so the reason we picked the ones we did is, number one, they're my favorite ones that were written off Psalm 103, and I got to pick them. Um, and we picked one from the 17th century, from the 19th century, and from the 21st century. To make a point, this has encouraged believers for well over a half, the last half of millennium. It's incredible. So... If we finish our time together this morning and you don't feel encouraged, do not blame this passage, blame me, because I wasted it. This psalm should leave us, regardless of our circumstances, encouraged and deeply thankful to our God and Father. So, how do you divide it? I think you divide it into three sections. Um, uh, There would be a section for what I would call uh, micro praise, that would be verses 1 through 5. And then a section, verses 6 through 18, would be covenant praise. And then a third section for macro praise, verses 19 through 22. And you can see that in the way that I've shown the structure there, I set uh, 1 and 3, to be, hopefully you see there's parallel there and two sits in the middle intentionally. And so what's going on there? Well, if you look at verses, the first section and the last section, there is, and, and this is a poem, so in poetry you get this parallelism, there are pa- parallels. So you get in the first section a lot of this refrain, bless the Lord. You see it in the, in the first section especially in the last section especially. But you also see another parallel. Four times in the first section, you see the word all emphatically used. And four times in the last section, you're going to see the word all emphatically used. So sections one and three are supposed to be kind of like the bread of the sandwich. And then in the middle is the meat. And so the meat is the covenant, uh, the covenant works of God that he should be praised for. So you you may actually see that the section one and section three are to be believed because of what God has done in section two. Hopefully that will make more sense after our time looking at it. So let's turn there um, and look at verses one through five. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget Not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. All right. So just think of what I mean, just unloads on us. He just unloads. And so I hope there's part of you that's going, Tim, I think you messed up your title section, your section title here. This isn't micro praise. This is pretty big praise. Well, uh, whatever I mean by micro, it can't be the level of praise he's offering because it is a lot stronger than that. The psalmist is not holding back. I like the description of micro praise to make the point that the scope of the praise is very confined that is the scope of the praise in verses 1 through 5 is the individual soul of the psalmist or the believer the follower of God this is key to getting the whole logic of the passage the follower of God needs to look no further than the work of God in and on his own soul And he can respond with powerful, mighty praise. He doesn't just praise God, but he purposely repeats the the name of God as Yahweh. In your English Bible, you will see that as Lord in all caps. That's actually not the word Lord. That's how we translated out of respect, but it is the personal name for God, Yahweh. This is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Jesus. This is the God, God who says, if they ask you who sent you, tell them I am. So the scope is a confined, focused, small area, the single soul of the praising psalmist. It's the soul of a believer. But within that small area, look at the tremendously weighty items that can be offered as praise. God is praised for how much of his benefits? All of his benefits. That's in verse two. Then when we are brought to the core of those benefits, that's there in verse three. He says, who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. Now, I want you to think of that as a single thought. It's a single statement. The idea of sins, that's iniquities, being forgiven is the same idea of, a, of diseases being healed. Let me say that again. The idea of sins being forgiven is the same idea of, sin, of disease being healed. Why do I think that? Well, first, again, what's the scope of verses one through five? It's the soul of the believer. The psalmist isn't going outside to the point of his body at this point. He's not going there. He's staying within just his soul. So the disease he's talking about is a soul disease. And there's another reason. You can see that in the passage that we opened up with this morning in our responsive reading. It's why we use that. Mark chapter two, where Jesus heals this paralytic. When he goes to heal the paralytic, what does he say? Hey, be healed and get up and go. No, he doesn't talk about healing. He says what? Your sins are forgiven. Our deepest need, our deepest problem, our all of us. It is our soul killing disease sin now friends let that sink in I'm gonna say it again you either affirm it or you deny it but you got to do one of those the Bible says that our deepest need our deepest problem is our soul killing disease of sin this is why I said that if you had to use this as a talk for a bunch of unbelievers, this would never work. One of the most important steps of moving from belief to unbelief is the deep need to see and believe in the disease of our souls. If you're here and this is a new idea that you suffer from a major soul disease, I pray that the spirit will open your eyes to be diagnosed. The Bible is as clear as it can be that our problem of sin is not small, it is major. So much that our souls are considered diseased. I know, I know, our contemporary culture does not like this talk. They have no room for talk like that. But the the Bible is abundantly clear. Our sins have left us with deep abiding sickness. And it's so bad that we can be considered, go to verse four, as those who have fallen into a deep pit and need to be redeemed. Our sin has left us deeply diseased and the disease is eating our souls alive. And so when he's talking there about he's forgiven our sins and healed our disease, that's where you get that third line in, uh, that Spafford uses in the hymn we just sang together. It is well when he says, oh, the, uh, the bliss of, uh, of my sins, this glorious thought. He talks about oh, how horrible are my sins, this glorious thought. But then there's that very next line. He gets it straight out. Of Psalm 103, my sins not in what? Part, but the what? The whole. Not just my iniquities, the entire disease. That's what Spafford is after there, as he's unloading. So let me give you a picture of this, I think is helpful. In the Gospels, we see the condition, the disease of leprosy is an outward picture of the inward reality of sin. So leprosy is a very dangerous disease. And it was much more prevalent during the time of Jesus when he walked the earth. But the Gospels are full of leprosy. I'll be honest, as a kid, I mean, I was in church a lot. Um, and so I just thought leprosy was like everybody, you know, you, I, I was waiting at any point at the store, you know, to be walking down the aisle and hear somebody yell unclean. Um, I just thought that's what it was because, you know, these Bible stories, every time I turn around, there's a leper somewhere. Um, And so I just thought it was that type of thing. Well, you know what? That's not a bad way to look at it. It's intentionally more pervasive than it needs to be in the Gospels. Why? Because it's a picture. It's an outward picture of the inward reality of the human heart with sin. So caused by a bacterial infection, what leprosy does is it attacks the nervous system of its victims and it begins eating away at their extremities and their nervous system. So now given the attack on the nervous system, it can be even more dangerous as victims might not even feel pain as their bodies are literally being eaten alive. It can actually be uh, cured pretty easily today. We call it Hansen's disease uh, with an antibiotic, but not then. So thought to be contagious, lepers were scorned and they were isolated from the community. And that's why they had to call out unclean. Like leprosy attacks the human body, sin attacks the human soul like leprosy. Leaves the victims unable to feel the damage being done by their body. So sin will leave humans unable to see or admit to the damage being done on our soul. Now, keep all that in mind. Let me take you to Matthew chapter eight. I have it there printed for you, but. Now, we might have a slide with it on it. Matthew chapter eight says, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. So you got large crowds. Get that in your mind. We are like pandemic phase, so we can understand this differently differently than we would have three years ago. So we got a large crowd. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him. So I mean, plug that into your COVID brain, right? Um, large crowd person with covid comes in the middle of it and starts coughing right now we're all like oh no right well think of this it's much it's much worse you got a large crowd and you got a guy who has leprosy he came in and and knelt before him lord if you're willing you can make me clean verse three reaching out his hand jesus touched him reaching out his hand jesus touched him he said i'm willing be clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So there's specific rules about how this whole thing's supposed to go down. Um, how you're supposed to interact with a leper. One of the cardinal rules, the cardinal rule, is whatever happens, don't touch him. That's the thing you're not supposed to do. <laughs> Hear Jesus. The perfectly clean God man dares reach out and touch an unclean leper. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. It's the picture. The declaration that the very Yahweh promised in Psalm 103 has come. And what is he doing? He's forgiving Iniquities, he's healing diseases. This is salvation. When we call out to Jesus and ask him to make us clean, he reaches out and he touches us and he makes us clean. He touched us by first by becoming one of us. He touched us deeper by going to the cross and all the way to the grave and bearing the fullness of our sin. There he was treated as unclean in order that we might be treated as clean. So the psalmist opens by preaching to his soul like the leper preaching to himself, bless Yahweh. Don't forget all that he has done. He has forgiven your sins by healing your disease, by reaching out and touching you. The untouchable. And by the way, this is a mark. Not everyone who's a believer in Jesus is called to preach fair. But by that, I mean not everyone who is a believer in Jesus is called to preach to the entire congregation. Let me say this. Every believer is called to preach to his own soul. This is a preaching lesson. That's what this is. Who is who is he talking to? in Verse one through five. His own soul. This is a practice, a discipline that Christians do. We preach to our souls. We take the word of God and we say, hey, soul. Here's what we believe. Hey, soul, here's how we're going to deal with this. That that's what we're seeing here. And so the preacher goes on in verse four and says that We are not just healed and left alone. (laughs) Catch this. I mean, that would be fine. That would be enough to do for the leper, right? Hey, I healed all your leprosy. Sweet. I really appreciate it. You have a good day. And uh, for the rest of my life, I'm I'm forever grateful. Thank you. All right. Take off. Right. That would be enough. (laughs) But that's just the beginning. Instead, in verse four, it says we have had a crown placed on our head. Okay, cool. I mean, you go to Burger King, you can get a crown, right? I mean, they'll give them free. No, 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 wait, wait. It's a pretty hefty crown. It's a crown of steadfast love and mercy. That is for the rest of our lives, we will wear the steadfast love and mercy of God on us like a crown. Now that word for steadfast love, it's a single small Hebrew word, but we struggle to translate it into English. Steadfast love is what most English translations use in fair. But I've heard it translated as something like it's the love that will never let go. So our souls are crowned with the jewels of God's never failing love and his never ending mercy. And then look at verse five. Sermon to the soul continues. God has gone further. He strengthens us day by day by feeding, feeding what? Our souls with his goodness. He says we are fed so well that we're strong as an eagle. Now, an eagle was considered to be one of the strongest animals that there were, certainly of the birds of prey. The eagle is incredibly strong. Hence why we picked the eagle as our national bird. Like, that's a great idea. I like eagles. one of the things about an eagle is it, it, as they age, they don't really seem to age. they just stay strong. But most eagles actually die because of starvation. They die because their beaks get so uh, worn down that they can no longer take in food. They would be fine in terms of their muscles and all the rest of the organs, but because they can no longer t- take in food, they die. This psalmist says this. He tells us that we have been given the incredible privilege of never running out of nourishment. as God regularly feeds us on his unending goodness forever. So we're going to be as strong as eagles. Our souls can be as strong as eagles forever and never run out of food. So I call this section... Micro praise, but honestly, I probably would have called it if it weren't for a lot of other uh, bad connotations nuclear praise. So, a nuclear reaction is so powerful because it has to do with a massive amount of force and a small amount of area. These five verses are nuclear when we consider just God's work in the area of our individual soul. It's really amazing to take in no matter what happens outside of your soul. Just think about that. No matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens in our jobs, no matter what happens in our families or our relationships. It doesn't even matter what happens to our body. We have enough to praise God for all eternity. Because how he has treated our souls. Soul, says the preacher to his soul, forget not his benefits. He has healed you. He's forgiven you. He's redeemed you. Oh, he crowned you. He also clothed you and he fed you. Get up, soul. Bless the Lord. So now... Now, if you're doing a calculation in your mind and you're looking at the time that took and you're saying, now, that's a third. um, And actually, it's a lot less than a third. It's only about 20 percent. So where are we going to be? Don't worry. The other parts we will cover much quicker. That's the hefty part. So as we zoom out here, the psalmist takes us and he looks at the amazing work of God on behalf of his covenant people. We can call this covenant praise. In verses 6 through 18, we're going to divide it into two sections. First, he praises God as our covenant shepherd. Look at verses 6 through 14. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abound in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So one of the chief jobs of a shepherd is to protect and provide for the sheep. Here, the psalmist describes all the ways that the shepherd is protected and provided for the people of God. How has he done it? Well, he's worked righteousness and justice for them. In particular, he references the work of Yahweh on behalf of Moses in the Acts of Moses. He rescued the entire nation from slavery and oppression. And notice this is language, not like God has helped the people to get justice. But this is language that says that God has what? Worked justice. God did not help them get the justice they deserved. God brought about justice way beyond what they deserved. God treated his sheep far better than they deserved. And look at this: the same God who has crowned us and our souls with never-failing love and mercy, He treats his children with the same love and patience. He's described as being uh, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. There's that line in 10,000 Reasons uh, uh, where uh, he says uh, that he's slow to anger and his heart is kind." Ah, oh, what a line. It's right out of Psalm 103. It's a picture of a tendered shepherd. This this is a shepherd who time after time, he went after the sheep when they went astray. He continues to pursue them. Verse 11 attempts to describe the measure of God's mercy for the love that he has for his people. It compares the distance God goes for his people with the distance between the heavens and the earth. And I don't think we need calculations from the Hubble Telescope. To understand, uh, we don't need millions of light years to understand that this is a massive distance. What a statement of God's love for those whom he has covenanted. But we know that he fulfilled this promise. Remember, this would have been written a thousand years before Jesus. Doesn't this serve as an apt statement about the love of God? The distance he would go is the distance between heaven and heaven. In earth sure does, because it's the very distance that our Savior Jesus would have to travel to save us. He would have to go from heavens, from the heavens all the way to the earth, but not just the earth, as Paul puts it in Philippians. He has to go not just to the earth, but to the cross, but not just to the cross, but all the way to the grave. It's the distance that God loves his people. But he doesn't just rescue his sheep. This would be me if I rescued him. I would rescue them and kick them all the way back. Now, I'm telling you, never again. If this happens again, I'll break your neck, right? No, that's not how he deals with us. It says this is true from it's right there, it's written down. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. That's crazy. He sets the list of our wrongdoings aside and he refuses to try to repay us. But yeah, but what if at some point in the future he he changes his mind and he decides to pick the list up and say, okay, now let me tell you something. He could bury us just with the first page of our misdeeds. But look at verse 12. We are told that God has placed our sins so far from us it would be like trying to reach the east from the west. God has removed our transgressions as far as the east from the west. So our covenant shepherd provides us with never failing love and mercy, and he protects us from our inadequacy, from our sin and from our iniquity. He protects us from his own righteous anger. But he continues this and uh, verses 13 through 18, he's our covenant. He's not just our covenant shepherd, he's our covenant father. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He knows, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone. And his place Knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord, it's from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. He doesn't just provide and protect, but he identifies with us and his compassionate. Yeah, but doesn't a father provide and protect? Well, he does. But the main function that the psalmist focuses on here is the compassionate role of a father. So a good father cares for his children by trying to understand them where they are. So imagine this would not be a good father. Some first grader brings home their handwriting homework and shows it you know, to dad. Hey, dad, here's what I did today. And dad looks at it and is like, what? What type of T is that? Your O, they don't even come together. Is that even a circle that looks like a square? I'm st- Let me show you how I write a T. Let me show you how I write an O. it's not a good father. That would be a horrible way to go about it. Why? Because what the father does is the father realizes, you know what? This is a first grader. They've got to learn how to do it. In fact, it goes more than that. The father is still remembering the kid trying to learn to hold a crown. They're thinking to themselves, I remember I was about ready to pull my hair out. They just kept falling like, God, nah, just hold it, right? I mean, you remember they're actually holding the pencil. You got it on the page. You didn't rip the page. You're somewhat in the lines. Sweet. That's a good job. And you can generally say as a father, you did well there. Why? Because you know your child's frame. Here we are told that our good father, he knows our frame. Praise God, he knows our frame. Our good father knows we came from dust. But unlike an earthly father, our covenant father is eternal. He's never fading. In verse 15, we were told that man's like a flower. A little wind, poof, and he's gone. We grew some tulips. Kids planted them in the fall. Those things came up. We were so excited. We talked about those tulips like they were great. Some stinking deer ate them, just like that. They're gone, right? That's it. We're nothing more than tulips. What an indictment, what a humbling statement about life, but it's so true. Pick any human, say Jesus, who is special for any reason and I'll show you a flower that is there for just a moment. Not only do we not last long in terms of human history, it's a blink, but let's just even talk about the ones of us who, have, who are the ones who are special for some reason. I promise their specialness. It's a blink of an eye. Take like a star athlete. They have like no time at all reading about some tennis player. She's retiring. She was 21 years old. She's retiring. It's a, it's a its crazy. take I've always thought this. Take a president of the United States. Can you imagine how hard it must be to be like the newsmaker one day? And then Next day, you're bored. Like, George W. Bush, he's painting pictures. <laughs> I cannot, I say that to myself all the time. George W. is painting pictures. The man's painting pictures. He's got nothing else to do. He was the leader of the free world. Can you imagine if you'd walked in the oval back in the day? George, what you doing? I oh, was just painting the landscape over here. Well, we got a war. That's how quick it is. It's just like that. It's gone. It's nothing but a flower. But our heavenly father, this good father, what if he leaves us? What if he dies? He can't die. That's the praise. He's not like a flower. He will never fade. He will never wear out. He cannot stop providing. He cannot stop protecting. He cannot stop showing compassion. He is forever faithful to his children. So we've considered the micro praise. We've considered how God benefits our souls. We've considered how there's covenant praise. Praise for him is our shepherd and praise for him is our father. And now look at verse 19 through 22. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. This is our macro praise. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. Oh, you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So the psalmist concludes, he doesn't just go global. Uh-uh. He goes cosmic. He establishes the vast power in the rule of God by declaring that God himself established his throne. God is the founder and president of his eternal universal kingdom. Then he calls on creatures above the level of man. He calls on the angels. I love it. He's turning to heaven going, you better be praising. That's what you better be doing. He defines them by their obedience to God, by, by the fact that they do the will of God. Even if God's covenant people, those who who fear his name, if they fail to offer suitable praise, then God will not be robbed of the effective praise and fervent worship he deserves. The angels, those who obey and follow him, they will praise God. He goes further. He says all the works of God, they ought to offer praise to God. So that is everything that's ever happened, right? Because God's in charge of it all. All the provident workings of God, all of it. They praise God. They give testimony that he's awesome. This seems to include all creation, all created things, everything that's ever happened. Friends. Let us not forget. Let us not let our souls forget the benefits of God. Let us not forget the benefits of God for our souls. Let's not forget the benefits of God for us, his covenant people. Let's not forget the benefits of God for all of creation. That's why this chapter is so helpful. It's so encouraging. Will we have bad days in tough times? My word, absolutely. Will we have times when we just don't understand the ways of God? Ah. Yes, but when we face the difficult times, remember, coach, my mom brought snacks. Friends, our God brought Himself. Let me give you one example as we end of an example of how praising God can change your outlook and focus our joy. In England, In 1976, a boy by the name of Matthew was born to a middle-class family. Seven years later, at the age of seven, in 1981, Matthew's dad committed suicide. As you can imagine, that left him with all sorts of questions, not the least of which, he says, was the toughest. Was I not enough for him to want to go on living? In the midst of such deep pain, Matthew began walking himself to church. He never missed a Sunday. At church, he felt like he finally had found safety and stability. In short order, Matthew's mom remarried. Sadly, his stepfather was very abusive to the entire family and put Matthew through some really, really rough ordeals. But week in and week out, Matthew continued to go to church. And at the church, he heard someone speak in one week about the fatherhood of God and man that he perk up. By God's grace. In the midst of it all, somehow he was spared self-pity. Resentment. And anger towards God. He was drawn to the idea of an everlasting father. Who was slow to anger, who was gracious and kind. As time went on, he became a serious follower of Jesus. He actually began leading people in worship songs. He's now written dozens of songs. I say we close our service today with one of his best known songs, probably one of my favorite hymns. Not probably, it is one of my favorite hymns. 10,000 Reasons. By Matt Redmond. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again, soul. Whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. You're rich in love. And you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And on that day when my strength is failing, when the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise. Unending, 10,000 years, and then forever more. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Psalm 103. I thank you because it puts it together in ways that I would never understand unless you revealed it by your spirit. But Father, thank you that you are the god behind psalm 103 you are so good you are so kind you never give up on us you never let go and you are going nowhere ever i don't know why you rescued my lousy soul But praise you forever that I have 10,000 reasons to sing your praise. Let us be a people who is thankful, are thankful for all that you've done. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.